Hey everybody, this is Pastor Luke McDonald and this is the Good News in the Neighborhood podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. You're gonna find two things in this feed in this season. You're gonna find Sunday sermons from our church in Palatine, Illinois, and you're gonna find an occasional little piece of content that is towards our initiative to try to help our church read the Bible more regularly. It's called Good With Our Bibles. We're trying to read the Bible regularly and we're trying to interpret it accurately. And that's what you're gonna find in this feed. We are a multi-ethnic Bible teaching life-giving church. This is our little theme song that you're hearing in the background. And uh, it helps us, anything you do, rating the podcast, sharing it, all that stuff helps the word get out. We're not trying to build the name of a church. We're trying to build the name of Jesus in our little local community. And if you found this, I hope it's useful to you. Thank you. Let's listen now. Starting a new set of sermons today. um, And the set of sermons is called Get Rich Quick. And uh, it's in the book of 2 Peter. So if you have a Bible, I hope you'll turn there. Uh, Did you ever know one of those people, or were you ever one of those people that got pulled into one of those get-rich-quick schemes? You know, like the, where you're going to sell a product, and then, but like to sell the product, you got to buy the product, and then like, it's one of your friends, but then like to be successful at it, you can't have any friends anymore, you can only have customers, and then you have to trap all your friends by being like, hey, do you want to like hang out, but then they show up, and it's like this table, and if you don't buy something on the table, we're not friends anymore, and then like... There's like this one person like driving a Porsche and like they're really doing great, but it seems like anything you do is all going to them. And it's like that thing, you know, those get rich quick schemes. Who knows what I'm talking about? And uh, it's more than just those little kind of gimmicky ones that are obvious. Our culture is filled with uh, read this book and you'll lose 20 pounds by Saturday thinking. Here's uh, a quick, easy way to make more money than you can possibly imagine. Here's a. Watch this video and your kids will be behaving better by five o'clock today. This kind of sentiment is everywhere in our culture that there is a secret pathway that you don't know about to get to the goals that you want to reach. It's everywhere. And sadly, it's um, often true in church too. People will promise you, like, you know, if you come to my class, if you join my group, if you read my book, if you do my curriculum, uh, If you just listen to this album, all your anxiety is going to go away. If you just do this, then you're going to guaranteed get this. We try really hard here to be honest with each other that you can do the right things that God wants you to do, and sometimes still you don't get the results that you want. That's not the easy answer, but it's the true answer of what our faith is really like. Can I get a witness anywhere in the room? Uh, This summer I got captured by this little short book in the New Testament, and I want to teach you. We're going to teach the whole thing, and we're going to teach it week by week as long as we go. Um, there are some things that I can learn that can improve my life dramatically quickly. They're just not usually the things that we're looking for. Um, and uh, so that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm starting with the first two verses. This is Second Peter. I hope you're there. And uh, I would encourage you, if you're looking for something fresh to do in the Bible, I have found that reading the same short section of the Bible over and over and over does a lot to help me learn and grow. I've been doing that with this. I'm just going to read you the first two verses. It says, uh, Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, our Lord. He starts... Uh, by saying who's speaking. This is Peter. If you know much about the Bible, you've probably heard of him before. He was an apostle. So he was one of the 12 people chosen by Jesus Christ, who Jesus invested the most in. 
He wasn't just one of the 12 apostles. He was part of Jesus' inner circle of three apostles. He was also the first person to identify the deity of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 16, he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He was the first person on earth to figure out who Jesus was. And Jesus said back to him, you're Peter, and on this rock I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Not only was Peter part of uh, Jesus' inner circle, he was an apostle, he was the first to identify who Jesus was, he was also the leader of the early church. We've studied that before in Acts chapter 15. And Peter says, so I'm, it's just, I'm just starting with the text, he says, I'm Peter, I'm a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I think there's something there. Apostle is his kind of uh, title, and servant is his attitude. And he says, this is the first thing he starts with, to those who have obtained an equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he says, now remember, I'm Peter, just so we got it. I was like one of the inner crew. But not only that, I wasn't just one of the 12, I was one of the three. But not only that, I was also the first person to identify who Jesus Christ was. And not only that, I was also the leader of the early church. And what I want you to know is we have a faith of equal standing together. Pretty. Uh, he's going to start to talk about status. Like, have you ever met someone? Uh, have you ever met someone who went to Harvard? The answer can't be, I don't know, because if you have, they told you. You know, that's the way that that thing, like, kind of operates. Yeah, Jack, uh huh, totally. Yeah, you did. And uh, he starts by establishing, remember who I am, and then says, the faith that we share is one where we have equal standing. Uh, he uses this word there where he says, there, to those who have obtained. It's this is a Greek word, and it means allotted, chosen, obtained, it contains the idea of luck. He's saying, those of us who got this gift of salvation, those of us who got this gift of salvation, it is one where everyone receives the same gift. He's talking about status, and he's saying we all have the same status. Our world loves... Uh, examples of and love stories and loves kind of cultivating that I'm part of the inner circle, I'm part of the inside club. Kristen loves to make fun of me that like when American Airlines tells me that I've made it to like a new group, uh, which I don't care, I usually just board the plane first anyway and kind of dare them to tell me you're not supposed to. <laughs> right, maybe that makes, right after the military guys, I'm kind of like, ah, I think it feels like my turn. But every time I get one of those, uh, Every time I get one of those, like, you're part of the gold club now. Hilton, you're a diamond member. You're a certain special thing. You get like, oh, oh, am I? Oh, am I? What does that mean? It just means, like, we'll take even more of your money and make you feel good about it. But we love the feeling of being part of something of status. Have uh, you ever heard about these? This kind of brings to what we're talking about. Have you ever heard about that thing when people who get nominated for the Oscars get these crazy gift bags given to them filled with all kinds of stuff? I was reading about the one from this past year. Everybody who was nominated for an Oscar got a free three-night stay at a beautiful hotel in Italy. They got uh, a plot of land given to them from the country of Australia. They got a $12,000 arm liposuction procedure if they wanted. They got hand soap that was one of 
uh, Oprah's favorite things, private hair restoration consultation, $10,000 from a Beverly Hills plastic surgeon, among other things, all to say, you are important. We want to tell you, here's your status. And Peter is starting this letter that he's writing to a group of Christians by saying, we have all been given a status that is a status of equal standing. What he's saying is wherever you came from, however you found your way into the family of God, the gift that you received from Jesus Christ is the same gift of salvation. There's no elite level. There's no perks. Some people get a different salvation. We all received the same gift through Jesus Christ. And I think the implication is obvious then that if our status is the same as each other and our status as saved by Jesus Christ is a gift, if we understand that it's a gift that we can't earn, we don't deserve, then our behavior should reflect that we all have a faith of equal standing. Makes sense, right? So it's all right here just in one phrase. If the gift that we've received is the same and we understand that it's a gift, not something that we earned, then it should affect the way that we think about ourselves and it should affect the way that we, that we treat each other. I think it makes sense. This was a common theme in the New Testament. There was a concern that the family of God not reflect the obsession of status that is in the world around us. Uh, this was a big part. We studied this last year, that when Peter uh, understood, this is in Acts chapter 10, that faith wasn't just for the Jewish people anymore of his heritage. It was for everyone. Peter said, this is like a big moment in the New Testament, Acts chapter 10. Peter says, now, I finally get it. I finally understand that God isn't showing partiality to anyone. There's not like a, a special group who's in and everybody else is out. No, every place where people fear God and do what is right, that's acceptable. We all have access to this free gift through Jesus Christ. Not only that, in the book of James, uh, the writer talks about how important it is that church not be a place that has levels of status for different kinds of people. He says, don't, my brothers, he says, don't show partiality as you hold faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if someone comes in wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and the guy on the stage giving announcements is wearing flip-flops, you don't, so that was, if you pay attention to the one in fine clothing and say, you over here to the good place, while you say to the poor person, stand over there or sit down, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become a judge with evil thoughts? Why is this emphasized in the New Testament? It's because this is the way the world works, right? If you go into a store and you don't look like someone who's capable of buying what's in the store, they treat you one way. And if you go into the store looking like you might be a good customer, they treat you a different way. Yesterday, I, was, uh, I had to return a TV um, and uh, so I got up early in the morning and I drove to the store and it was like early Saturday morning. And as I got out of my car, the salesman could see me coming from a mile away. Kind of like how when I stand out here and like some of you guys have to park far away, you can like, we can kind of watch each other for like 10 minutes while you're walking over the church. And this guy came towards me and he just put on his best fake smile and he said, how can I help you this morning, sir? And I was like, I'm uh, just here to return something. And I mean, you could see it in his face in like one millisecond. 
He was like, cool, I don't care whether you live or die on to the next person to try to make a sale. <laughs> no problem, right? You know what I'm talking about. No problem. No problem. Fine, no problem. But we don't want the family of God to be a place where you're treated different based on our perception of your godliness, based on our perception of your wealth, based on our perception of your success or not. He says, we don't want to set up a system where there's the elite club, the in and the out. This is, Paul gets to this in Galatians. He says, in Christ, there is no more. There's not Jew or Greek. There's not slave or free. There's not male or female. You are all one in Christ. He's saying, so the world loves to divide based on categories and then try to convince you to fight with the other categories. He's not saying, just put that verse back up for a second, thank you. He's not saying that those categories aren't real. There still are males and females, and there still are, at that time, slaves and free, and there still were Jews and Greeks. He's not saying those distinctions don't exist. He's saying they all pale in comparison to who you are in Jesus Christ when you found him in faith. This has uh, been a problem all through history, this desire that we have to draw distinctions. You may not know this, but uh, for the first thousand or so years in the history of the church, um, most churches didn't have pews or chairs. Everybody had to stand, which I'm just telling you, none of you all would make it in here if you had to stand the whole time. I, I accept that, and I understand it, and I'm cool with it. And then slowly but surely, uh, in the Reformation time, 15, 1600s, churches added chairs. And usually the way that they did it was uh, a family would buy a pew for the church. And then they would pay a fee every year to keep that to be their pew. So they had a place to sit. And then the people who couldn't afford to pay for their own chair had to kind of like stand off in the back or in the lobby or in some other place. So that every person that came, it was clear who was in and who was out. Now, I know there are some people here that are very possessive over the place that they choose to sit. I know there are some people. I'm not going to mention any names, but I'm looking at a few of you right now. But I've yet to see someone try to be like, all right, Pastor, how about I just slide a few extra dollars over here and maybe we can get a little plaque on the side that says we only get to sit here. And the people that fell into that trap, I don't think, were less godly than we are. It's just the way that our lives work, right? Is it's easy to see what's foolish about other cultures at other times, and it's quite a bit harder for us to see what's broken than us. I'm belaboring this point because I think it is so significant for what Peter wants to say and the kind of church that we want to build. He says, we have a faith of equal standing by the righteousness of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So he's saying, uh, we are not divided by whether you grew up in church or not. There's one. Some people were raised in church. I saw one of my old youth group kids is here this morning, uh, and I was so thrilled to see her. And that girl has been in church. If she didn't go to church for five years, she's still probably averaging more than once a week for her life. It's kind of like we're... And some people come to church and they're like, I don't know, I just figured this out when I was in college. I just figured this out when I was an adult. I'm just like behind. You might be behind in growing your knowledge, but you don't have a different faith than someone who's been in church their whole life. We talk about it here plenty, but we are not divided 
by whether you're black or white or Asian or Hispanic or some combination of those. We're not divided by ethnic or cultural background. There is no hierarchy of these kind of people are the kind of people that we're looking for or the better kind of people. We all have a faith of equal standing in Jesus Christ. We've talked in this message already about rich or poor. Uh, we are not divided by whether you were born in this country or born in a different country. Most of the places that you go in your life, there's this sense that the people who are born here are somehow superior to the people that aren't. And I'm not trying to wade into the political things. That's for political people to decide. What I'm trying to wade into is every person who knows Jesus Christ has the same faith as we have. Whether you were a virgin when you got married, how much is in your 401k, whatever your political affiliation might be, all of these are ways in which culture and church culture would try to divide you to say there's an in-group and an out-group. And I've spent now like 15 minutes trying to say to you and to me that the end of that sentence is what Peter's aiming for. If you have the righteousness of our God delivered to you through our Savior, Jesus Christ, we all have a faith of equal standing. Here's how we define um, that faith here at this church, and I think it's, it's biblical. Uh, these are five words. I would encourage you to learn these if you haven't already. The faith that we share, that is the faith of equal standing, starts with God. It's God who created the world. It's God who sustains the world. It is God who we're here to worship and honor today. Uh, we don't believe in a God that's like far off and created the world and then just kind of left it in motion. I believe that the great God of the universe is here with us right now as we gather in his name. God created a perfect world. Second thing, sin perverted the perfect world that God made. Sin is the choices that we make that go against what God asks us to do. It's when we know to do right and we do wrong anyway. It's what you don't believe in when you're young and then if you're blessed to have children, you realize they come somehow into the world already in a state of sin. You're like, how did they learn how to be selfish? Well, they never had to learn because sin is inside of them from the beginning. Substitution is uh, the best word that I know of to describe what Jesus did for you and for me. That he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Sin demands a payment, and Jesus says, that's fine, I'll pay. His life in place of ours. God, sin, substitution, believe. It's something more than just accepting in your mind. It's fully and totally being in your will is to believe. God, sin, substitution, believe. And then the last word is life. Uh, scripture says that he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. If you believe in these things, it doesn't matter what your background is or where you've come from. The thing that you get from God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, and we all get the same gift. Then we get to the second verse. He says, uh, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Hey, Sergio, I want to put you in the sermon this morning. I didn't tell you beforehand, so I'm hoping you're good with it. And apparently, you have to put your shoes on. Sorry about that. Come here. <laughs> this is uh, my friend, Sergio. He's going away to college. Like, how many days from now? Five. Five days from now. Amazing. So, uh, what a time. Yeah. Who remembers being right where he is right now? Just about... 
every one of the people were raising their hand wishes they could shake the person that was about to go off and give them a few lessons. I, uh, we love your family, and we're so thankful you're part of this church, and I'm believing by faith for great days ahead for you. Uh, but he prays this prayer, and it made me think of, I knew you were going to be here today, and it made me think of this. His prayer to the people he was writing to is, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And I pray that for you. I mean, you're... Uh, but I want you to think for just a second. I want all of us to think because he's standing in for us in this spot. I think the key word in that sentence there is multiplied. He's saying, I don't just want you to have. So you're going to college, Clemson University. I'm thinking, okay, good. Yep, yep, good. Uh, starting quarterback? No, I'm just, I don't know. Uh, but, but as you go, we don't just want you to get, and I'm not praying for you just to have the amount of grace and peace that kind of comes naturally. Like, the world out there is filled with sin, but there's also the image of God all over the place in our world. And so you're going to meet people that don't love Jesus that are still going to be an instrument of grace in your life, and you're going to have moments of peace and tranquility, even if you don't honor God. The, there's that stuff that comes because we call it common grace. It's the good stuff that comes to us just because of the world that God made. But I'm not praying just that you get the stuff that everybody gets. I'm praying that you would have it multiplied to you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All in favor for our friend who's going off to college? Awesome, good, thank you, buddy. So, he uses this word multiplied. I wanted to put it on the screen. It means like growing at an exponential rate. It's what multiplied means, right? Do you remember like when you were going along in math when you were a kid and if you struggled with math, usually we're doing okay, addition, I'm all right, subtraction, I'm all right. And then like, when you add in that, man, when we go to multiply, divide, it becomes a whole new thing for some people because the numbers get a lot bigger and it's at such an accelerated or crazy rate. And what Peter is praying for here is he's saying now, after we've established that the faith that we get, the gift that we get from God is all the same to start with. Now I'm, I'm asking God to give you an unusual multiple of grace and peace grace and peace that's going to come to you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. I want you to get like way, way, way more than you would probably naturally get. And uh, the world gives us myths about what's going to multiply our joy. He's saying I want grace and peace to be multiplied to you and the way that that's going to happen is through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. The more that you know about God, the more that you experience God, the more grace and peace that's going to come your way. But the world sells us all kinds of different things, right? The world sells us the myth that more money is going to make me more happy. If I just had a multiplied amount of money, I would just all of a sudden find myself quite a bit more happy. I was reading this week uh, about this guy, John Whitaker. Uh, 2002 Christmas morning, he woke up to find out that he had won the Powerball, making him $315 million richer overnight. He was already a rich man, like a net worth of about $17 million before he made all this money. And he wasn't just some typical pagan person. He was a religious person. He donated $15 million of that winnings to build two churches. He founded a foundation to help people who were in need Yet, 2002 Christmas morning, $315 million. By 2007, the money was gone. 
He was buried in lawsuits. His granddaughter developed a drug habit from the money and died mysteriously. His house burned down. He said in 2020, right before he died, if he would go back, he would tear the, tip, the ticket up. He said it only resulted to me in misery. And uh, I've seen that story true, not just in the macro like that, but in the micro. I'm telling you, no matter how much you may think your faith is in Jesus, most of us think, if I could just put a zero on the end of my bank account, I would be way happier. So how many more stories do we have to see? How many more laps do we have to take around the track? How many more things do we have to experience before we realize that joy in life comes from God? Joy in life comes from the people of God? Joy in life comes from enjoying the things that God has made? And what's actually true, and you could find studies, I have it in the notes, but I feel like I'm running out of time, is that people who are stable economically are happier than people who are unstable. That's why we do the things that we do as a church to try to help people who are unstable kind of get lifted up. People who are stable financially are happier than people who aren't. But there's this curve, you can find it, and I can show it to you, that at a certain point, more money starts making people report less happiness than they had before. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Voila. So the myth is that Peter says here, the way that you get uh, grace and peace multiplied is through knowledge of Jesus Christ. Through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But the world wants to tell you, there's one. More money's going to make you happier. Second, uh, here's another myth of multiplication. Many people believe in the world today that more sexual experience or expression is going to result in more happiness. This is everywhere in our culture. Everywhere, 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 everywhere. I was reading this week, uh, a sociologist and writer for The Atlantic said, after a long study, that contrary to conventional wisdom, when it comes to sex, less experience is better, especially if you want to have a happy marriage. Men and women with less sexual partners before marriage are less likely to divorce. Now, that's not to say that if your testimony is something different than that, that God can't work, that God can't do a miracle, that God can't, that's not the point of this message. God can do anything, and he can take the broken pieces and make something beautiful out of it and does all the time. But don't let yourself sit thinking that something outside my marriage, something that all my friends are doing, something way out there that the world is telling me is going to make me happier is going to make me happier. Statistically and spiritually, I could tell you that it is likely to make you less happy. Uh, three, some of us are going down a different track thinking that more freedom is going to make me more happy. If I just didn't have to go to work tomorrow, if I just didn't have to wake up with a bunch of things on my list, if I just didn't have like this endless feeling of, I was, uh, we're starting school this week, this year, just the way it all worked for our family, we have four kids. Um, we always have four kids. We have four kids in four different. <laughs> we have four kids in four different schools. I think I got like four hundred thousand emails in the last like three days, and it's like I promise you that if Kristen and I, one of us, just said, "All right, we're quitting work. We're just going to try to read all the emails and pay attention," we're like fifty-fifty. We could get it all. And uh, there's that thing that kind of creeps up in your mind. I think I'd be happier if there weren't so many things I had to do. I think I'd be happier if there weren't so many things. I was learning about that this week a little bit and studying it, and uh, there's some truth there. 
there's a sweet spot that if uh, people that have between two and four hours of time in a day that they can decide what to do with are happy. People that have no free time are less happy. But this is what I thought was interesting. People that have more than four hours every day where they don't have something they have to do, their happiness starts going like this. Declining, 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 declining. You may think this is like a complicated trick to get you to volunteer at the church more um, <laughs> if you're retired, which it may be. <laughs> but we need purpose as human beings. We need purpose. We need something to do. We need something to wake up for. We need something to go after. We need The fact that people are counting on you is driving your life in a good way maybe more than you realize. So the world wants to tell you if you just had more money, more sexual experience, more freedom, you'd be happy. Peter says, no, no, the thing that's going to multiply grace and peace in your life, you know what it is? It's the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. The more that you learn and experience who God is, the more you're going to find grace and peace in your life. What does that mean? It means that when you've gone through a health scare in your family with someone you care about, and God was with you the whole way, and you prayed and didn't exactly go the way that you totally wanted, but God was with you even so, and you made it through and God healed, the next time, the next time something bad comes around, you're going to start with, well, you know what I have? You know what I have? I have peace in the knowledge that the last time I was over here, God was with me. And if he was with me the last time, you know what? I know he's going to be with me this time. That storing up the experience of, I didn't know how this was all going to go, but God was with me, is the fuel that keeps you going. And so the reason why you don't have to lay awake at night worried about the future all the time is because of the knowledge that you have of who God has been to you in the past. He says, uh, the way that grace and peace is multiplied to you is in the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. How do I multiply my knowledge of God? Three things, I think. One, I multiply uh, my knowledge of God by disciplined study of God. Learning about God does help me grow in the knowledge of God, which results in more grace and peace. That's why we're working on this new thing I told you about a little bit earlier, this church school thing that we're going to do together. I'm hoping a lot of people are going to get involved in learning more about who God is because it's going to fuel grace and peace in your life. The reason why a lot of us hated going to school, if I can just be honest, we're going to honor the teachers in like 10 minutes, so I'll just be honest about this part right now. A lot of us didn't like going to school. And the reason why a lot of us didn't like going to school is we had the experience of I'm like learning stuff that I don't really understand how it's going to actually benefit me in any meaningful way. Right? I think that that was the, you know, that old like, thing. It was like, oh, I just, whoa, what am I ever going to need to learn how to Pythagorean, whatever? You know, it's like, uh, fine. Everything that your church is trying to help you grow in learning is towards growing the grace of God and the peace of God in your day-to-day -day life. Adults learn on a need-to-know basis. So the more I study who God is, the more I learn about what God has done, the more I grow in the knowledge of God, which increases grace and peace in my life. Two, knowledge is multiplied by the exchange of relationships. When we get in relationship with people who've been, who are a little further down the track than we are in various ways, or have experienced things that we've experienced, 
it is amazing how much that grows my knowledge of God and my faith of, in God is when someone can say, like I was with this guy yesterday, um, I was at this kid's birthday party yesterday and I was with this guy who had like, I think he had three kids under the age of five and he honestly looked like he was gonna like put his head on my shoulder and start sleeping while we were talking. <laughs> And that, I, I don't think I was boring him. I think that was just kind of like the general feeling of his life. And I looked at him and I was like, listen, man, I'm gonna be honest. Where you are, that little stage that you're in is exhausting and it's gonna get better from here. I was like, in Jesus' name, you will live again, you know, whatever, that whole thing. <laughs> I was trying really hard. I was like, really like, dude, you're gonna be all right. You're gonna be all right. You're gonna be all right. But I could see it in his face. It's like a feeling of lifting because when you're in that little moment in life, maybe I know a bunch of people in the room are in that right now, it feels like it's always going to be like this. And you need people who have been past it to tell you, no, you're going to. And the same is true in faith. You need people in your life who are like, our marriage made it over that bump or my marriage didn't make it and I made it over that bump or, 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 or. The relationships. And then three, new experiences help me grow in the knowledge of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. When I get around people I haven't been around, when I do things I haven't done before, this is all so simple, but we miss it often, that we can't grow, we can't go forward unless we know things we didn't know before or do things we didn't do before. One of the weird things, um, we're almost done now, so whoever's coming to play the music uh, can come. One of the things that's so challenging about adulthood is how easy it is to just kind of like go on autopilot and everything stays the same. It's like the, I can just like wear the same clothes and go the same places and talk to the same people and do the same things and a year can go by and you're like, it's uh, exciting. Our, my oldest, Carter, is starting high school this week. And uh, I mean, when you're in high school, like every week is an amount of learning and growing and changing and making mistakes and new experiences. It's like a year of adulthood or longer. It's, that's why it's such a formative and important and prayerful but also exciting time of life. And it can become so easy. I'm talking to a lot of adults. It can become so easy to just start kind of coasting at the phase of life where many of us are at and just be like, ah, I'm just kind of... I guess maybe I already learned all the lessons that I need to learn. Or, or maybe we do the thing where we keep saying that I want to grow. I want to grow, but I don't want to do anything different. I want to grow, but I don't want to learn anything new. I want to grow, but I don't want to meet anyone new. I want to grow, but I don't want to... I mean, okay. But you're not going to grow. Uh... And where we're starting today, I just thought these two things, the next section is really rich and thick. I want to read it to you in a second before we finish. But what power is going to come into your life if you start recognizing that we all have a faith of equal standing? It changes the way that I think about the people around me. Everyone who has faith in Jesus, the same faith that I do, receives the same gift from him. And the way that that gift grows is through increasing my knowledge of God. And that's not gonna happen unless I do something to make it happen. Come here, Ken, you're here, so you're gonna help me finish the sermon, come on. 
I'm not even gonna make you get up on the stage. That's how much I love you. This is my friend Ken, and uh, Ken uh, is exceedingly handy. Every time something breaks at the church, I don't even. Sometimes I don't even call him. He just sort of like smells it, and then he ends up here, and I and I see him fixing it. He's a tremendous, tremendous gift. Yeah. Okay. That, that was all right. That was wonderful. That wasn't why I said that. Uh, he has this knack developed over a long time that he knows how to fix things, and he has this intuitive kind of sense of how to fix things, and he can he can just figure it out. And it happens all the time. He'll come in and tell me, hey, this is how I'm thinking about fixing it. And then he always says something like, does that sound okay? And I always look at him like, like what? I appreciate the respect, but like, I don't, I may have the office as the pastor, but when it comes to the fixing stuff, there couldn't be a bigger idiot in this entire church. I don't, I don't know. Throw a roll of duct tape at it. I don't know. Like, do whatever is always what I say. And so I have this, uh, my gift is what I'm doing right now. His gift is keeping this church a place where you show up and it's working and you can, the bathroom works and stuff isn't broken and you don't fall down the stairs. One of our gifts has more public application. One of our gifts has more private application. So what we're trying to say today is this. On the one hand, the faith that we both share is the same in Jesus Christ. The gift that God gave me, the gift that God gave you at the cross. There is no difference between that gift. And I can enhance my experience of that gift when I grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I can grow. I can get more out of the gift when I use the gift. That's everything I came to say today, and our time is gone. Would you stand to your feet? He's here to pray with you at the end if you'd like to be prayed with. And I uh, hope this has been a useful start. I'm very excited about everything God is doing in the church. And we're uh, just outside in a minute, going to celebrate some of the projects that we're doing through your giving. We're also going to honor all the teachers in our church in just a minute. So even if you don't normally stay, even if you don't want to eat, I would love it if you would hang out with us for just a few minutes. Uh, would you pray with me? Lord, I'm thankful for the gift that you gave to me at the cross, and I'm thankful for the way that it extends with no addition or subtraction to every person in this room, every person in this church, every person in this community, every person in this nation, in this world, past, present, and future, the same gift that you gave us at the cross. And I want to pray, Lord, that you would not allow us to be stuck in sort of taking the gift for granted and not doing anything to build on it. Would you, in Jesus' name... Give us the wisdom and strength and clarity to grow the gift that you've given us through increasing our knowledge of who you are and what you've done. I'm really thankful, Lord, that you're with us today. And uh, we bless you. In Jesus' name, if you agree, please say amen. This has been the Good News Neighborhood Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the song. I hope it's been helpful to you. We'll see you again soon. This is Good News.